The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Most people need a lot of help with a dog like that. Um, if you don't understand and you can't read that dog and what that dog is getting ready to do and, and counter counteract that, then you're going to be in a world of hurt really, really, really quick. One thing we all love to do with our dogs is hit the road and go on new adventures. In order for that to happen, we have to be able to safely and efficiently travel with our dogs. Dakota 283 is dedicated to building unparalleled pet protection and tailgate lifestyle products for you and your best friends. Their one-piece roto-molded kennels have many options such as the Hero Series for military-grade crates, T1 low-profile kennels that will fit truck beds with tonneau covers, and their most popular G3 Series that's available in any size you'll need. Dakota not only offers many different sizes and styles of kennels, they also offer products and accessories to help with food and water transport, truck bed storage, and even grooming stations. Have a new puppy and only want to buy one kennel instead of buying multiple ones as they grow? Look at the Forever Kennel Insert Divider that gives you the ability to buy a kennel now and adjust the size inside as needed. No matter what you need to get you on your next adventure with your dog, Dakota has it for you. Check them out now at Dakota283.com. Your new 283 lifestyle is just one click and free shipping away. Welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. It's just me this week. Joe couldn't make it on, so this is going to be a really quick, short and sweet session. Uh, this week we have Scott Caldwell joining us again for a Q&A. I asked for people to submit their questions last week and on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, you guys gave us a nice variety of questions. We kind of hit it from all different angles, uh, some a little bit more involved than others. But, uh, yeah, it, it's always fun sitting down and doing Q&As, and I've been getting asked uh, a number of times over the past few weeks when we're going to do another one. So me and Scott thought it would be a good time to – knock one out uh especially this week this week we have the uh, gdiy training camp finally happening this week so we're excited about that but you know we're kind of busy this week so we just threw this one together had a lot of fun um a lot of good information as always i hope you guys enjoy um again this is a, a a real quick intro so uh i'll get to it so if you haven't left a rating or review go do that right now apple Spotify, whatever 
platform you're listening on right now go leave us five stars leave a review if it allows you we really appreciate it if you are interested in supporting the podcast even more check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself you actually get a bigger discount code for your dakota 283 kennel that you should be buying through us and uh yeah follow us on facebook and instagram um can't really think of anything else so hope you guys enjoy the episode and we'll check back next week we're gonna kind of figure out what episode that we can do while while we're at this training camp but uh, we have a couple good ideas so hopefully we can piece together something fun for you guys to to hear how it went and everything next week but uh yeah until then you guys have fun go train your dogs appreciate you listening be safe we get asked all the time what the most important thing to consider is when training and living with a hunting dog, and they're often surprised when they hear us answer with proper nutrition. It's pretty obvious when you think about it, though. It doesn't matter how well the dog is trained if it doesn't have the right fuel. The saying garbage in, garbage out rings true in dog nutrition. Yukonuba's premium performance lineup goes beyond just protein and fat with a number of different formulas designed to fuel your dog's specific activity level while supporting their recovery and optimizing their nutrient delivery. The proof is in the pudding, or lack thereof, when you make the switch to Yukonuba. You'll see immediate results in your dog's energy level and drive. They have a formula for every type of dog from your hardest working dog in the field to your laziest retired dog on the couch. Head on over to yukanubasportingdog.com to find the right formula for your hunting partner. Make the switch today and let Yukonuba fuel your dog so you can focus on what you and your dog actually love to do, work. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. We are joined once again by the neighborhood-friendly dog trainer, Scott Caldwell. Scott, what's happening, brother? What's up, buddy? How you been? No, uh, oh, just busy as always. Just trying to get through another crazy week, and uh, this week... It's uh, the time has finally come. The thing that we've been looking forward to, what, over a year now since we first started talking about it? We, we have the training camp this weekend. You excited? I am more than excited. This is, uh, I'll tell you, like you said, this has been something we've been in works now for well over a year. And um, I don't know of anywhere else, I've researched it. I don't know of anywhere else that's doing anything like this where we're pulling in uh, professional trainers from across the country all in one venue. And uh, given the opportunity for yeah. guys and gals to, you know, not just sit there and write notes in a notepad, but actually bring their dogs and have, you know, one-on-one time with these guys and gals to hopefully progress their uh, their goals with their dogs. 
Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be interesting to see because, like you said, there, there are all kinds of little training seminars and, and clinics out there that you can go to with your dog. But like you said, we have multiple trainers from different locations, different perspectives, all coming together to help people train their dogs. And, and it kind of goes into what we always talk about is it's not really so much important as to how you do it, but why you do it. And uh, exactly. I think uh, we're going to see how it goes. You know, we might end up with a couple trainers and fist fights by the end of it, but uh, hopefully not. Hopefully we don't get to that point, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where, you know, this being the first time we've ever done something along this lines on this scale and, like I said, the first time that uh, anybody that I know have done anything along these lines, you know, it could be a complete disaster, but uh, I've got high hopes. Well, um, other high hopes, we have listeners with high hopes that you can help answer some questions for them that they're curious about. You know, we this is kind of the go home show before the training camp. And I've had a few people ask me when we're going to do another Q&A episode because it has been a while since we've done a, a Q&A. So, uh I threw it out there and had a couple good questions, and I, I got one heavy hitter uh, for you that, that kind of goes against the grain from what everybody really uh, strives for and, and has goals uh -huh. for their dogs. So uh, I'll let you pick. You know, we can start with the order that we got the questions in. I haven't grouped these questions together, so, you know, if we start overlapping, I'll just skip one or two here and there, but I'll let you decide. Do you want the heavy hitter now, or do you want to save it for later? Um, one of those guys, I hit everything right up front. So let's go ahead and hit the heavy hitter right from the start. We'll play stump and chump today. <laughs> I haven't seen or heard any of these questions yet. So this ought to be pretty good. And I just no. came off of no. three dogs of assessments today and go homes with uh, a few clients and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm in that mood. Let's get it. Yeah. All right. Well, good deal. Let's start off with the first one. And so this is one of our more, uh, more, uh, active supporters, that on a weekly like basis, it. she's always, you know, getting with us and everything. And, and so as soon as we've put this out on last week's episode in the closing to uh, shoot us your question, she, I think I woke up to an email from her and, uh, you know, she, nice. she's very thoughtful on her emails. She covers a lot of grounds, but uh, Georgina Buchan, Buchan, uh, let's see here. I'm trying to figure out the best way to, uh, to sum this up. So, Overseas where she's at, they don't really do the the steady to release in the same typical way that okay. we do over here, right? So she is curious how to actually make her dog leave point, okay? So it's actually too steady for her for their type of hunting and their goals. So let's see here. Uh, let me find where she actually put it. Um because we went back and forth on a bunch of emails because I told her this is, usually is not an issue that we normally come across. So, so she's having an issue with the bird flushes and the dog isn't leaving the point fast enough to stay. Because, you know, overseas they pride the retrieval of game more so than over here, right? right? So while we, while we really focus in on study through release, they really focus on retrieval of game. And so what she's saying is this dog is so steady and it's a German wire hair Vishla that the dog goes on point, the bird flushes, they'll shoot, and sometimes the dog just remains on point. It's it's like she says that the dog still thinks with the old scent that they're, it, the bird is still there or that there's another bird, and they, they're having issues with getting the dog to leave 
and go get that bird. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So it, it almost sounds like, all right. So at first when you, when you said this question, I wasn't sure because over there, they do a lot of wild bird hunting. Um, it's a lot of pheasants and it's a lot of birds that are moving. And sometimes you'll get dogs that as opposed to moving with the bird and the hot scent gets stuck where it was and the bird moves forward, runs forward and, and you know, is a hundred yards in front of the dog before it gets up. This sounds more along the lines of something where, and I'm not sure, has the dog been put through a force fetch or a train retrieve program? Did she say? Yes. So she said, Teddy is a good, fast retriever. Uh, let's see. He's steady to flush and shot and retrieves to hand. The problem she has with him is trying to get him to flush the bird. So even if I go forward myself and flush a bird, he doesn't move. However, if I send another dog to flush, he will also go forward. So it's, it sounds like she's actually trying to flush the bird with him. Okay. So she's wanting more traditional European where they actually have the dog flush the bird. Um, this one's, this one's kind of tough. You're right. Um, I'm going to actually kind of <laughs> take a, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of note out of a Justin McGrail thing. And that is the, the dog's got to understand that it's actually okay to flush the bird. So, um, if that's what she's looking for. So exposure with other dogs, um, and making no corrections, at all when the dog attempts to flush, assuming that the dog is steady enough for the handler to get within shooting range. Um, this sounds like a dog that the style of hunting that they want to do is that they're having the dogs put the birds up for them. Um, and, you know, at, at that point, you know, it's just more of a, it, it kind of goes against the grain a little bit with a pointing dog, but, um, you know, a Vishla should be able to do that, even a wire-haired pointing Vishla. Um, my big recommendation to you or to her would be um, allow the dog to hunt minimal, minimal corrections unless it's a gross error. Gross error meaning, you know, the dog starts busting birds prior to you getting within gun range and then showing the dog that it's actually okay to go in a little bit on the bird to reposition if it needs to reposition. Um, and then I would probably, when it comes to that point of retrieve, um, you know, not knowing exactly how her trained retrieve went and exactly how and what they've done. But a big portion of our trained retrieve is, is we're really fast on, on the initial, you know, as well as I do, Nick, is that, when in the NAVDA training system, sometimes guys like to have that, you know, the bird gets up, the bird is shot, and they want to have that little bit of pause before they send their dog so they can kind of show the judges, yes, my dog is steady all the way through this process. For me, I would, as soon as that bird is clearly shot, I would release, release, release. Let that dog go. Don't let any pause at all. Let that dog get really fired up and, and you know, depending on the circumstance, if you can, you know, shoot the bird a little bit faster, have the, have the retrieves a little bit shorter initially right up off, right off the start. Um, not knowing if they can get a hold of training birds over there, but I mean, that's really what I would do is I would do really quick, short retrieves, allowing the dog to break um, and break on command and, and just keep building that a little bit until the dog has an understanding that it's okay to leave the point. 
Um, now, if the dog's nose is down and just, you know, like absolutely focused on where that bird was and is not paying attention to the flush and everything else, which I kind of find that hard to believe because most dogs, as you know, as soon as that bird gets off the ground, that's their main attention. Um, yeah. You know, that that's kind of where I would, that's how I would attack that situation. I just, I thought this was really interesting and I know I did a horrible job of summing that up, but I, I, I don't think that, you know, <laughs> between the emails back and forth, trying to get a handle on what was going on, it, it was, uh, it was pretty lengthy emails. So uh, hopefully that, that was okay and answered her question. But yeah, I just thought it was really interesting because oh. most people, you know, the bulk of the questions that we're going to get is how do we, uh, right. make make the dog steady and she's you know she's on the reverse side and that's what i really appreciate about this is everybody has different goals and everybody hunts and trains different so i i thought it was a really interesting uh thought process behind that one yeah and nick if you want to um i'm fine with if if she wants to reach out to me personally and you want to share my my email and contact information with her i would be happy to you know, if she wanted to go into more detail on this, I would I would be happy to try to help her out from overseas. Yeah, I'll do that. And I, I'm warning you now, she's going to appreciate this. You're going to get a long email. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so, that's fine. all right. Well, well, yeah, I definitely appreciate it. And uh, Georgina, and we'll we'll definitely be following up with you because I know that you you reach out pretty much on a weekly basis. So. Uh, to move on, let's go to the next one. Um, I know this one, Scott, you you probably have it. Just quick draw McGraw because you talk about it all the time. So just hit it real quick. Logan uh, asks, what's your preferred sequence of training specifically for NAVDA? Um, is he talking about testing or training for a dog? It depends on the, the end of goal. Yeah, specifically for NAVDA testing and even throughout the example, force fetch into duck search, into steadiness, into healing, right. you know, what's your preferred uh, preferred sequence, I guess, from puppy all the way through, just go to the inv- invitational, really. Yep. So that's that's really easy for me. Um, it just happens I'm sitting here with uh, one of my roadmap sheets in front of me. Um, just by circumstances, I had to make copies and put that in the kennel. Um, for me, foundation obedience right from the start. So what does that mean? Foundation obedience to, to us. That means, you know, all your house manners, uh, your crate training, your, your no jumping on people, counters, whatever you don't want them to be on. Um, dog manners. That means manners around and socialization with other dogs. Uh, people manners. Same thing. You know, introduction and socialization with individuals and people. And then door and tailgate manners, um, you know, an unruly dog on the tailgate, an unruly dog, you know, your door in your front house shouldn't look like, you know, you've got a mob of eight-year-old kids with muddy hands every time because they run and jump against the door to go inside the house. Um, and then we start our place board work. Um, introduction to place board. What is a place board? We do recall. We do a little bit of intro to healing. That's all prior to your natural ability test, uh, intro to water, um, getting the dogs excited about water. Um, and once we complete that natural ability test, as soon as the natural ability test is, is completed successfully, um, we go right into force fetch. Um, and from force fetch, we go from force fetch to duck search. And then from duck search, we go to, let me flip my page, to know this. From duck search, we kind of hit and 
touch upon drags um, a little bit because we actually do a little bit of drags um, with the duck search on land anyway. Um, and once all that is complete, force fetch, duck search, drags, you've got a reliable retrieving dogs, then we go back and we start working on steadiness. So it could be very possible that a dog could not see a flushed bird for holy cow, anywhere from six to 10 months, uh, depending on what it's at. So, I mean, you, your dog could be almost a year, year and a half old before it sees its next flush bird. Um, steadiness goes back to the place boards. We utilize place boards as a foundation for our steadiness program. Um, and then from steadiness into field work and field work handling. And then we kind of clean it up with, at the end, uh, deep water retreat. Uh, which is more of your water retrieve stuff. And with that, we, you know, in the water retrieve piece is kind of setting your foundation for your invitational stuff. So we'll do more than one retrieve to water. So we'll actually have a couple of different objects out there. So you're kind of setting up for your double mark and stuff like that. All that stuff prior to the steadiness piece, the place board stuff. If you've got a good solid foundation on that, going into a utility test. If you are uh, lucky enough to pass the utility test with a prize one and uh, decide to go to the invitational, you have a foundation to work the invitational tasks. You know, you're, you're honored by the blind. You know, that's impulse control and place board work. Your double mark, well, you did that when you got ready for your deep water retrieve. The only thing that you would have to kind of really start to institute is your longer blind retrieves over greater distances of water. And then um, you're working with another dog in the field. But if your dog has properly done the steadiness program, then it, it should just be, you know, really kind of cleaning up that steadiness with another dog in the field. Because if your dog knows that when he stops and he is told to stop or he has to stop when he sees another dog and he's not allowed to go again until he is released um, from that task, then it's really just cleaning it up and making it, you know, I don't want to say look pretty, but, you know, now you're doing it with as many dogs as you can get in front of your dog, you know, because you can't select your brace mate when it comes to the invitational. So, you know, that's where your NAVDA chapters really come in handy, you know, and, and you have, it doesn't matter the experience level of your bracemate because you're going to run into that at the Invitational. You could have a dog that's not even utility steady as your bracemate. And if your dog goes on point and the other dog breaks and runs in front of your dog and grabs a bird, your dog has to have enough patience and resiliency to kind of deal with that situation. So, you know, utilize your NAVDA training days. Hey, I need a bracemate today. Somebody come out and run with me. Oh, my dog's not ready yet. No, it doesn't matter. My dog's being trained. I don't care if your dog catches every single bird. You know, at least I get a good <laughs> chance to train my dog during that during that portion. Yeah. So, so let me try and see if I can sum this up into the kind of the format that he threw out there. You you're going for this is just NAVDA specific testing and training. You're going foundational yep. obedience to intros. Then you're NA testing. Yep. Then you go into force fetch. Then you go into duck search. Then you go into steadiness, then your utility testing. And then on the back side of that, you're going back to deep water retrieves and advanced steadiness with, with backing and honoring. Do I have that right? Yep. 
I, I try and keep it to the uh, to the quickness of it, and you, yeah. So you you expanded on that, and I just summed it up. Uh, <laughs> moving on to the next next one, I know that uh, you just went through this, and something that you always like to do, uh, you know, this time of year is uh, having puppies on the ground. Junebug oh, wants to know what are the essentials for whelping. Um, first thing, good whelping pen. I don't care if it's a handmade whelping pen or one that you can purchase, you know, uh, online or something along those lines, but a very good whelping pen. Um, having a really good vet in your back pocket helps too. Um, you know, depending on if this is the dog's first litter or second litter, you've always got to expect problems. Um, you know, one puppy could be too big and could get stuck. And if you're not prepared to help out, then you need to get that dog to a vet uh, for the sake of the rest of the litter. Um, I usually, when I'm whelping a litter, I usually have, oh, two or three tubes of, um, we'll say, lubricant, uh, preferably KY jelly or something along those lines, some some rubber gloves, uh, you know, to help mom out, uh, lots of towels, uh preferably towels that you're not going to use again or use only for this purpose. Uh, it can be messy. <laughs> um, depending on the, uh, I'll say the, the experience of the female, um, you know, a good pair of like uh, surgical scissors or something like that to help cut cords. Um, oh shoot. What else? That's, that's pretty much about it. I mean, mom's got to have, she's going to try and find a place and you're going to, you're going to have to try to make her feel as comfortable as possible in that whelping pad and that whelping pen. Um, we also utilize like a little puppy heating pad that we have on the, on the, on the ground. So the puppies can maintain body temperature pretty well. Um, and that's pretty much about it. You know, nature does a pretty good job. Um, if you got a good mom. Uh, so I, I, I have two follow-ups kind of on that sentiment. If nature, you know, does its own thing, provides a good mom. Yeah. You know, you've told the story a few times and it's one of my favorite ones is when, when you, w one of your moms giving birth, went out to go to the bathroom yep. and comes back holding a puppy in its mouth. Like, you know, nature, yep. they've been doing it for, for quite a while without us. Right. You know, not yep. to say that we can't help them out from time to time, but nature kind of has its own system that, uh, that we don't have to be involved for the most part, I would say. Like, what, what do you say is really like, is it just the benefit of like, I don't know, on is it every litter us getting involved really saves a puppy or two in your experience? Or do, what, I mean, yeah, what would you say to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So every litter, I, that that's my standard, what I have on hand at all times when I'm having a litter. Because, you know, um, it, Perfect example, the KY jelly and the rubber gloves. You may get a mom that's had two or three puppies already and she's just absolutely exhausted and she goes to push. And if you, you know, cover your hand with a little bit of lubricant and can kind of help pull a little bit and slide your hand in, you know, I don't say try to do the whole hand up there, but, you know, get a couple of fingers up there around the puppy. And, and when she goes to push, you kind of pull a little bit. Um, that generally sometimes really helps out, um, mom in the long run. Um, you know, the, it, I don't think there has not been a litter where I've been present at every single puppy that's been born. Um, 
um, and, and making sure that mom is okay and comfortable and making sure that the puppies are all in rotation for feeding and stuff like that. And we've been pretty successful and we don't, you know, most of our puppies, if there is an issue, it's, it's right when the puppy comes out or, you know, there's, there's something else going on with mom. Yeah. All right. Last one real quick and then we'll move on. You said get a good whelping pen. What are your requirements and what you consider good is when you're talking about a whelping pen? What what do you have to have? Well, so really the big thing is size. So these dogs, most of your, your sporting breeds, your versatile hunting dogs and stuff range in the, the 50 to 70 pound range. Um, and for me, a whelping pen, we utilize a Durawelp whelping pen. I think we've got the large, which I think is... Oh, five feet by four feet or something along those lines and square. Um, you know, you, you want a pen that is large enough that you could actually kind of sit in the pen with mom comfortably uh, while the whole process is going on. It's just going to make them feel a lot easier and, and, all, and all that piece of it. Uh, some people like a little bit of a smaller whelping pen. The, the big thing in a whelping pen, whether it's a bought purchased one or a homemade one is that you really want to have some sort of border or boundary about four inches up from the bottom of the the whelping pen that extends out around the entire inside of the pen probably another three to four inches so you know having a piece of white pvc pipe or something like that what that does is that helps mom not lay down on puppies you know, mom wants to, you know, lay down in the corner or something like that. And if puppies are all gathered up in there, they don't get behind her and, and she accidentally, you know, crushes one in a corner or up against the whelping pen or something along those lines. Gotcha. Roger that. All right. Uh, Cal Hardy wants to know hey, training questions. Right? <laughs> yeah. Cal Hardy wants to know, uh, switching from labs to pointer soon. What or who should I follow to watch or read for good info and any specific tips you might have kind of general, GDI but uh, we're warming up to the training. <laughs> GDIY. <baby. laughs> GDIY. Yeah. You know, going from labs to, uh, I'm assuming he says pointers as being, it could be anything, I suppose, or a pointing breed. So, I mean, you're talking versatile breeds and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the the quick ones that jump out at me, you know, NAVDA, get involved in NAVDA, do the reading, do the research, find you a chapter. Um, there's a wealth of knowledge and information. Um and then, you know, hey, the podcast is, I mean, I'll promote it. I don't have any problems with that. The podcast is an amazing uh, source of information on where, how to get started, what to do, get things going and stuff like that and, and ask questions. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I would start personally. If I was doing this all over again and I had the resources now that I didn't have when I was 27 years ago, Man, I'd be light years ahead of where I'm at. Yep. Nope. That'll work. So, uh, all right. Here, here's a training specific one for you. Ben Kerr uh, asks, what are options to get a soft dog to build water drive? For example, a dog that is capable water dog while hunting. However, when training, the dog hesitates to go into the water and shuts down when force is applied. When it does go into the water, it's very slow and lacks enthusiasm. 
So you've seen the dog t- do it in hunt a hunting sit- scenario, but when you're actually training with it, you see it shut down and maybe a little less enthusiastic than what you know it's capable of. How do you how do you circumvent that? So what's happening here? You got to think about the mechanism of what's happening here. So in a hunting situation, um, I'm assuming it's during a duck hunting situation. Uh, if, it, if the water, if the dog's got drive to go retrieve a duck, but then when you're on the edge of the bank and you're using Dawkins or something along those lines, the dog has less enthusiasm, or you're you're being more deliberate in what you're basically telling the dog. Um, it, I'm foregoing this a little bit because i don't know what this gentleman has done for fetch wise with the dog so when he's talking about pressure and pressuring the dog into the water that could be a really sticky situation because i don't know exactly how the force fetch training went with this dog um but for me you know water drive starts as a puppy puppy you know we've got a puppy we just kept from this last litter so what are we doing you know everything is fun Everything is fun. Everything is fun. Um, building bumper drive, chase, play, play in the water, and then slowly starting to overlay what is acceptable versus what is unacceptable. So, you know, um, getting the dog excited again, I, I would say, about going in the water. Whether If the dog really likes birds and dead birds, then and the dog has already passed its natural ability test, then get it excited about birds. You know, use dead game if you have to. Um, and then be really careful on your corrections and your pressure from what from what I'm understanding this, because the dog seems to shut down, I'm assuming, uh, when he's pressuring it to the water. Well, then make it fun again, uh, really is what it boils down to. Um, you know, it, allow the dog to make some minor mistakes, um, no gross huge mistakes you know um dog brings the game back to the shore drops it and then shakes and then picks it back up Eh, right now that's probably okay depending on what his training was for manner of retrieve on the land you can clean that up pretty easy once you get an enthusiastic dog going back to the water back to the water again yeah yeah, no, I, I would say just for my two cents is remember what you're out there to do. If you're out there to build water drive, you're not out there to clean up the actual retrieve. You know, that's to me, right. that's two separate training scenarios. We're building drive over here, cleaning up a retrieve over there. So you have to figure out you can't have both when you're going out there. If you have a dog that wants to avoid water, you know, take the win. And yeah. then, like you said, clean it up later. That's yeah. uh so kind of in line with this, you can tell me if this is really any different or, or if it's really just kind of continuing and making it fun and slowly build up uh, off of it. But Eric 308, E-Rock 308, however you pronounce that, says, how do you transition a dog from just walking and nonchalantly going in the water to jumping in the water from like a dock or a boat or something? So it could be an enthusiasm or enthusiasm question, or it could be just a water entry and maybe you're uh, you're in a hunting scenario to where... You're, you need that boat entry, right? So, you know my, I think you know my, uh, I guess, perspective on this. I am perfectly okay with my dogs just nonchalantly walking out into the water, assuming a swim, and then going and getting a bumper or something along those lines. Um, where I duck hunt and where you've been, there is a 
minefield of potential hazards with beaver sticks and cutoffs and all this other craziness. I do not want a dog dock jumping, launching itself out two to three feet out into the water and then potentially landing on something that could impale him, you know, one way or another. So I'm fine with it. But if he's talking about trying to get a dog a little more enthusiastic about like if he's doing a lot of duck hunting from the boat, if he's doing a lot of, you know, stuff like that, you know, we start a lot of these things from land, honestly. Um, the dog's got to get comfortable with the situation and the circumstance that you're asking him to do it. Um, you know, we have, when we go through our force fetch process, we'll bring the mow marsh blind out and set it up. So the dog's jumping down off of the mow marsh blind and then going into the retrieve. We'll have a little flat bottom boat that we've got, which you've seen by the pond and we'll, you know, leave the boat up on the shore and put the dog in the boat and then launch the dog from the boat from the shore to the water. And then we bring the boat just inside the water to where he's got to, you know, jump down, maybe not right into swimming depth water, but where he feels comfortable again. Um, you know, it's a lot to ask a dog sometimes, depending on that dog's demeanor and drive to take that kind of leap of faith, you know, off the front of a boat into water. You know, the boat's moving, you're moving, you know, it's kind of a whole unsteady situation as it is. Um, same thing with Mo March blind. A lot of guys I know that we work with clients and stuff, they're like, uh, I duck hunt all the time, but I can't get my dog up on the Mo March blind. Well, when do you put a dog on the Mo March blind? Every time we go to the swamp, I says, you've never done it on land. You've never done it, you know, in your side yard or something along those lines. So, I mean, it, it, Try to take a little bit of a crawl, walk, run perspective from a lot of this. You know, introduce this stuff to the dog slowly. Introduce this stuff to, you know, on land where you can get the dog comfortable doing it and then doing it on the edge of the water. And then hopefully you can kind of transition out into uh, the water piece. Makes sense. Yeah, it all starts with land, baby stepping on up and, you know, just go from the land to the water. And, and it's that yep. that simple. It may take a while, but just baby step it. And if the dog is confused, backtrack and figure out where, where you took big of a step. Uh, let's move on to this is right up your alley, Scott. Uh, Nella DK. Do you feel that this is getting into your feelings? This is dangerous. Yep. Do you feel DKs are able to handle the cold water better than GSPs? She currently has one GSP and one DK and a deposit on another DK and waterfowl hunts in Northern California with her current one and was extremely happy, but can see she has more hair on her belly and chest area than her G GSP. So I guess it's just wondering if it's, it's indicative of the difference between the German line and the, the Americanized GSPs. What do, what do you say on that? It really boils down to it, what I'm hearing here is just coat. Um, the Germans yep. do tend to breed a little bit better for that type of stuff than uh, the Americans do. However, caveat on this, I know you've seen Falco. Falco and Calypso have a very tight, short-haired coat. Um, and you've seen both of them, you know, in the water and stuff like that. Um, really where people, I think a lot of people... Um, the difference between a DK and some, some, some of the American bred GSPs, um, 
is really the overall desire. Um, the overall desire to go get that game and recover that game, I think, is a little bit stronger in the DK lines um, than it is in some of the American lines. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, there's a lot of great nabbed GSPs out there that have amazing, amazing coats and would do just fine for the circumstance that, that she's hunting with a dog and stuff like that. And, um, you know, GSPs are great all around dogs, but if you think they're going to break ice like a Chessie up in, you know, Northern Saskatchewan for seven hours a day, um, you're, you're kind of sorely mistaken. I, I don't care where your dog was bred, where it came from and, and how good the coat is. Uh, they just weren't meant to do that type of work, you know? So, um, I would suggest, you know, uh, honestly, I say, uh, you know, me, you can't go wrong with a DK as far as it's, if it's well-bred. So, you yep. know, I would stick yep. with the DK stuff. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So, there you have it. Uh, let's move on. James Darnell would like to know what is the best way to build drive in a quote unquote more cooperative dog? And conversely, what's the best way to make a high draw, drive dog more quote unquote cooperative? Mm. So I guess it's really pl- it's really playing into that uh, that sentiment that you you're dealing with cooperation or drive, and you know we all know that the perfect uh, situation is having both. But let's let, let's just go with this. I, I like this topic; it's one of my favorite ones to discuss. Yeah, this is you know you know this is kind of one of my pet peeves because I hear this a lot that oh my dog is so cooperative that's why he doesn't leave my side. No, that's a desire and drive issue. Oh, my dog has got plenty of desire and drive, um, and he comes back every 30 minutes. No, that's a cooperation issue. Um, <laughs> the best the best way I've found to build cooperation, if it's not inherently in the dog and genetically in the dog, is uh, making sure that that foundation obedience is done prior to any other task. Um, you're going to build that cooperation with that dog, whether I don't want to say whether he likes it or not, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if you can get a dog to do all the things I kind of outlined in the beginning of this, you know, understanding place board, steady on that, a solid recall. And that's a recall with not just, you know, Hey, here, you know, Timmy come here. It, it's recall with distractions, with flushed birds, with chase birds, with other dogs, with people coming in and out of the building and, and that whole thing. That If you've got all of that locked down, you're going to see your cooperation, you know, I won't say excel, but definitely improve uh, when it starts coming to the other, you know, key tasks and skills that you're trying to change the dog on. Um, yeah. If you've got a dog that's got too much desire um, and a lack of cooperation, again, that's that, that's that, I would say, you know, doing that foundation obedience piece um, back to the dog that he says has too much cooperation or a low desire. Is that how do you, he, how did he phrase the first part of that question? He said, what is the best way to build drive in a more quote-unquote cooperative dog? Hmm. So the best way to build drive. Right. It, it, um, it sounds like he's got a dog that doesn't have either, is what it's saying. 
<laughs> Possibly. <Yep. laughs> which, which he has a significant issue. Uh, if you don't have cooperation and drive, then, you know, you've got a, basically a two pronged issue that um, you have to kind of pick one. If, if it was for me to pick one versus the other, I would definitively pick the building of the drive first. Um, yeah. You know, usually that lack of drive comes from something that we did. Um, I just had this discussion today with a client and stuff uh, who had a, who has a dog that has got very little to no search. And the very first question I asked was, well, how often do you guys go for walks? Oh, we go for walks every day. Well, where do you walk? We walk up and down our street. Is the dog ever off leash? No. There you go. And so from the time that the dog was, you know, 12 weeks old and brought to the house to the where it's at now at, at 10 months old, the dog's whole world was a leash and or corrected. Um, I would actually get that dog out and just walk. Don't say a word. Don't correct it. Don't praise it. Uh, we're just going for a walk today. And I think what you'll see pretty quickly is that the dog will, you know, kind of figure out its own boundaries. Um, it'll start to kind of get away from you a little bit more. It'll start searching and finding things on its own. Uh, if you have the opportunity to plant birds and allow that dog to chase, you know, birds, I don't care if it flushes them. I don't care if it tries to catch them, let them chase, let them chase, let them chase. Then you can kind of, once that dog is in that type of mindset where, man, every time I go out, I get to go do this, this, then you can go back and start, you know, reining that in, utilizing your obedience, um, utilizing your recalls and stuff like that, but being very cognizant of the situation that you're doing in it. You know, um, yeah. you're going to recall the dog after it has had a fulfilling chase, not the minute the bird gets off the ground, you know. Uh, so that way you don't go in reverse again on the desire and drive. Yeah. It, anecdotally, this is just my experience as an outsider looking in. Obviously, I don't have as much experience as you, but in, in the relatively short time that I've been in this world, I have seen better success from people having to build driving dogs than quote unquote, make extremely high drive dogs, more cooperative. And, and yeah. like you said, you know, you always hear the saying, it's hard to push a rope, right? You know, referring yep. to the dog yep. that doesn't have drive. But to, to me, if you can figure out what that dog wants to do, whether it's like you said, fun run or really, you know, usually it's just something a few chase on birds can can resolve real quick. And I mean, yep. a free chase on a duck in a pond, that's that helps a lot, yep. even if you're having a dog that uh, needs it on land. Building that drive, I've seen it. It, it happened quicker and more naturally with, with dogs with quote unquote low drive. But those dogs that need a little bit more cooperation, like you said, you need the foundation and obedience and stuff like that. I've seen people make really good cooperative, obedient dogs out of those extremely high drive dogs. But you get, what do you think the average new per, new handler, new trainer, do you think they're fully equipped to really do that without sacrificing something on the back end? Um, most, uh, man, I'm going to get emails on this. I know it. Uh, most are not. <laughs> yeah. Most are not. That That's what keeps me in business. Um, the, the, um, 
you know, the trend there for a while was let's breed high drive, high desire dogs. And that allows, you know, individuals to be a little more, um, I would say you, you could make more mistakes with a dog like that because the dog's resilient. You know, the dog's just going to be, he's going to brush it off and be like, yeah, whatever. I'm just still going to do what I want to do. And, you know, that, that allows for some of your newer handlers and your newer people to kind of make a boatload of mistakes and still have a workable dog at the end of at the end of it. But, you know, overall, um, most people need a lot of help with a dog like that. Um, if you don't understand and you can't read that dog and what that dog is getting ready to do and, and counter counteract that, then you're going to be in a world of hurt really, really, really quick. Let's move on to, let's see. Uh, Live and Let Viv wants to know, what do you look for in a foundation dog when you started your own line? Ooh, if anybody's ever listened to this <laughs> podcast, they should know. I've, I've been through this at least a half yeah. a dozen times. Um you know, for when I first started, I thought acronyms meant everything in the world. And at the end of the day, they really don't when it comes to breeding. Um, for me, a foundation dog, uh, all the dogs that we have, um, and I think you've seen them all now, Nick. The, the key element across all of them is that cooperation. Um, you can overcome so much with a dog that is cooperative and has a good sense about training and trainability there's there's nothing you can't do with a dog that that's like that um so for me i really look at cooperation as a trait um followed by confirmation um you know i'm not a show guy i don't take my dog to the show ring i don't you know do the akc show circuit i don't you know i'm not interested in being a silver grand champion in anything or along those lines. But um, for me, a dog has to be built right in order to function right. Um, You know, having things where they're supposed to be, you know, having alignment where it's supposed to be um, helps that dog be a better hunting companion. Um, You avoid all the other things like, you know, possible hip issues, possible, you know, uh, knee issues, ACL issues, um, as well as just, you know, eyes and everything else. We've got a client dog in here now. I had to, I kind of broke his heart a little bit. I told him, I says, uh, you might want to let the breeder know that dog's got uh, ectropic eyes. Ectropic eyes are where the bottom eyelids roll out and kind of create a pocket. Um, and he's like, I've never heard of that before. Well, there's nothing wrong with the dog. The dog's going to be a great hunting dog, but you have to almost daily, we have to flush this dog's eyes from seeds and debris and everything else that those pockets basically become catch-alls for, Mm. you know? So, um, you know, that's where the confirmation piece comes in, uh, to a little bit. I don't want a dog that I, I have to, you know, Combing and grooming is one thing, but I mean, if, if I'm having to always be worried about, oh, shoot, is, you know, my dog got a lodged seed in his eye or, um, you know, prone to ear issues or after, you know, hunting for woodcock for three days straight, the dog's 
limping and moving slow and, and all this other stuff. Now I want, I want a dog that's confirmationally sound. They can take all that. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. All important stuff. Um, let's see here. Moving on to, uh, Anna K Perry. How can I get my dog to focus on commands through the excitement of a retrieve? And that that's that's all the information I have. So you know that there could be a ton, there could be a ton of information there that uh, we're not you're not really touching on. Man, you're yeah, really it's... playing chump today, aren't you? You're not giving me a lot to go on with this. Um, so, I don't know if this is a water retrieve. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, this this could be a, lo- a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't say whether it's a water retrieve or field retrieve. I don't really know what commands you would be giving your dog, like in the middle of a retrieve. Say it's on the way back to you with with a bird or something in its mouth. Like, what commands are you giving it? Uh, but I guess just kind of just go on the focus mentality uh, of this from the start, and just you're starting a retrieve all the way through the finish. And I guess talk to that point because it, there's a lot of subjectivity that can go into this specific question. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm going to just basically kind of touch upon the force fetch thing that we do here to a certain extent. And before we start force fetch, uh, if, again, going back earlier in the podcast we have our foundation obedience set. So, and with that, in that foundation obedience, one of the biggest pieces is your place boards. Um, your, the place board becomes the foundation for so many different things that we do and gives the dog a visual marker on where that dog is expected to be during any of the, you know, situations or circumstances that we're putting the dog through. So, in the force fetch program, when we actually move to the ground and we're driving this dog to a pile of bumpers or something along those lines, then then we have a I call it a Scottism or an RGKism, um, but it's it's a you know you have a place board and I call it heel to board, toe to board. So when you go to send the dog away from you to go do the retrieve, then my left heel because I'm having my dog heel on my left side. My left heel is physically touching the board and then I'm tapping that dog to release on, on the fetch. As soon as the dog is clearly in process of that retrieve, then I rotate to the back of the board and my toes are touching the board so that I'm right up against the board. And when that dog is coming back to me about halfway through the retrieve, I'm going to repeat the command of place. Because I want that dog to understand to come back to the place board. Okay. So that helps clean up that little bit of manner retrieve. Okay. You look like you're asking a question or confused. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, honestly, I'm I'm hearing you. I the place board, I've seen you do it and, and it and it essentially just formalizes the entire sequence before, during, Correct. and after. So it cleans up the handoff. So while you're talking about this, I'm going back to the question and trying to visualize myself or anybody what? else that I've been to. What other commands could be giving 
given during this because that's her that's the question that was asked you know the focus on right. commands during the retrieve and so it may be as simple as what you address but i'm trying to see if i could come up with some other scenario that that may be so, what they were referring to some, some possible hurdles there some other commands may be you know some individuals through that retrieve they want the dog to heal right well, that's just as simple as instead of putting your toes to the board, we do the toes because I want a front presentation of that dog to the board, to me. I want that dog to walk to the front of me, come to the front of me, sit down in front of me, look up at me and present the bird. Some individuals like the heel position for their return. So I personally do. All yeah. That yeah. All that changes is instead of rotating to the front of the board is you just stay on the board or heels to the board. And as the dog comes, you still say place and the dog should come up onto the board and come around to the heel. Okay. Um, if, if it's the sit command um, and the dog's kind of refusing to sit and stuff like that, I, again, that place board should clean that up. If your place board work was done properly, because we, we ask the dog as an offered behavior to sit on the board when we tell them place anyway. So it should almost be an automatic reaction for the dog. Um, right. The only other command I could think of is if they're doing a retrieve or a force fetch or something along those lines and the dog is distracted by something, uh, we'll say. And we just actually started working with this with Falco the other day and cleaning this up was I would have the launcher, I'd fire a launcher. He'd be in the process of the retrieve and on his way back and I'd fire another launcher so that he'd be like, oh, shoot, I got to go get that one, too. No, we want you to complete the retrieve that you're working on first and then going uh, to the other one. And, and again, yeah. the simple fix for that for me is it's going to be your timing and the timing of, OK, I'm going to fire that launcher if, if you break to go get that other one i'm going to correct a, a sharp uh, uh, all right maybe even a little nick on the collar depending on what the dog's pressure threshold is and then repeat of the command of place and the dog should finish that retrieve and then you're set up to send them on what you just launched so yeah. those are the only circumstances i could think of where there would be another command involved other than fetch i've got i've got one more I just came up with it and it is pretty common if you think about it is she's saying through the retrieve. So maybe she's set up and she launched her through a bumper or something. And we've seen it to where dogs and impulse control, right? They're spinning, mm -hmm. they're yapping, they're jumping, they're all around They're You know, you're trying to get them to heal and focus on the retrieve before you send them. Uh, it goes back to an impulse control issue. It's like it, yep. maybe she's talking about yep. through the retrieve, so through the send-off. Maybe that's what she's talking about. And if that's the case, then ultimately you're not sending the dog until it calms down and it focuses on what it needs right. to focus on. And, and, and right. if you need to obtain that focus, stop stop pointing in the direction that you just threw the, threw the bumper. Heal them off yep. the other way, you know? If yep. it's if it's yep. acting and it's that excited to go get it, do the exact opposite of what it wants to do, and the yep. dog will yep. eventually learn. I don't get to go get it until I do what I need to do first. 
Correct. And that, and that's exactly how we would approach that. If, if I've got an anxious dog, and you, you'll see this, we'll work with that. Uh, some dogs, I think we've even got a listener that's going to be at this weekend's event that his dog, when it came down here, was so ramped up. Like he would go to the deep water retrieve and you would set him in the blind and he just knew what was going on. And he would just incessantly just bark, 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 bark. He, he wouldn't move. Well, after a couple of iterations of we walk him up to the blind, he'd start barking. I'd walk up to him, heel, and walk him away from the blind, probably 50, 60 yards, and then walk him back to the blind. And not correcting anything other than the fact of, dude, every time you bark, we're going to walk away. And that dog's whole demeanor changed in the fact that he's like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I thought I was going to go get a retrieve. No, you get your <laughs> retrieve when you are calm and you are cool and collected and you understand that this is, this yeah. is the process, not what you've been allowed yep. to do up to this point. And the great thing about this issue or hurdle, whatever you want to call it, Scott, where does impulse control training or, or formalizing start? Where does it begin with that you can do on an everyday um, basis? Foundation obedience and heel and play sports. That's, that's really what it is. That and food. And even at the food bowl, going in and outdoors, yep. I mean, it, yep. kennels, uh, you can yep. really go a long way with, for, with impulse control in every day, even if you can't get into the actual environment that you're having issues with impulse control. And it does, it does overflow. So don't think that yep. just because you're doing it at the food bolt, that's not going to translate into the field when doing retrieves. It does. It's, it's just laying the foundation and, and planting that seed for later on. And you can do it. You can absolutely do it. We've got a 12-week-old puppy here right now that knows place, down, sit, and waits for her food bowl. You know, yep. there's, you know, yep. the, the first time I put that dog on the place board and put her bowl down and she broke and I went and put the bowl back up on the counter and walked away, you'd have thought, that, like, I just beat her with a stick. You know, she was just like, what do you mean? You took my food away. No. And the next time I told her place, she couldn't get to that board fast enough and sit down, you know, so. Yep. So, all right. I think we we came up with as many examples as we possibly could on, on that one question. So hopefully that answered it. And if not, please let us know, because now I'm curious on what me and Scott couldn't yep. think of as far as commands given through a retrieve. But uh, let's move on. We just got a few few left real quick. Um, this one, we have done a full episode on this. So, Scott, like break down as simple or as quick as possible. What are the beginning steps for duck search? And it doesn't specify whether it's training or the actual duck search in of itself, like the event. Just, just go from point A to point Z as quick as possible. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Let me, let me make this as quick as possible. First off, I don't start duck search until I have my force best program complete. My force best program is complete when I've got a dog pushing 50 yards across water for a blind retrieve. Okay. That sets my foundation for a duck search. Then when we go to actually initiate a duck search, I do it almost just like we do with the natural ability um pheasant track and that is i will have myself or somebody hold the dog on the edge of the water take that duck pull the flight feathers and release that duck in front of that dog in the water probably you know 
20, 30 yards in front of them and let that duck kind of swim off into cover. And then as soon as that dog, that duck is in cover, I release that dog. And that way the dog's like, yeah, there's something out here. There's something out here. There's something out here. And then you kind of start kind of weaning from that to now the duck's out 40 or 50 yards. And then, you know, 50, 60 yards. If you get a dog that gets a little bit sticky, that's not an issue. You may want to start an actual water drag from the bank where you're going to take your duck, walk it out with your kayak or your waders or whatever out to that distance, leaving a small scent trail in the water, then releasing it into cover and then releasing your dog on that piece of it. So, um, you know, having the mechanism one to drive the dog out into the waters to start looking for these ducks. And then showing that dog before you even start doing that drive, like, hey, there's something out there. There's a duck. I promise there is a duck out there. If you just look hard enough, you'll find it. Um, and having that dog be successful every single time. You know, there's, a, there's an old adage in that the only time I don't want my dog to find a duck during duck search is on test day. So, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, the unfortunate thing about duck search is it takes ducks long story short, be prepared to have, yeah. you know, quite a few of them on, on hand. So, yeah. And the, there's a million scenarios on, you know, you can have 10 dogs and have 10 different ways that you need to address duck search hurdles or issues, quote unquote. Uh, and then some dogs just take to it naturally. Like I said, we, we did a full episode on it. I wish I knew the number of it off the top of my head, but I don't, uh, there there's ways. And just like we talked to, to it earlier in this episode uh, there's a way that i do it that starts it on land and then transitions yeah. into water but uh there, there's a ton of different ways and methods out there to to hop into duck search but uh hopefully that gets them right you know gets them out there and gets going on it um just success like you said it takes ducks yeah i, I do want to encourage the listener i do want to encourage the listeners if if we don't fully answer these questions email nick Nick will email me and we'll try to get it answered. Yep. Yep. No, we'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, the next one, this is actually coming from a, uh, a new podcast. that's starting up from my understanding. It's, uh, the Upland Brits. Will Larson is starting, uh, called the Upland rookie podcast. And he hit the, uh, you can't go a Q and a session without this question popping, popping up. Uh, Puppy selection. What do you look for when picking out a puppy, say six to eight weeks old? I know we answered this a few weeks ago, but you know, church church it up and let us know. Dress it up and and for guys that you know, I don't know know uh, Will just through social media, but you know, check out his podcast. There's a, there's always room for uh, for some good information being put out. So uh, check them out. Will um, puppy selection um, for a new person, rookie person. Um, I think we talked about it before. First things first is to find a reputable breeder that kind of hunts the way you hunt um, with uh, a, preferably a dog that you are interested in. Uh, don't let a breed of dog lock you into where specifically you're getting your, your dog from. Um as well as, you know, make sure that that breeder, if the breeder's not asking you just as many questions as you're asking the breeder, you might want to shy away. Um, anybody that is a, what I would consider a reputable breeder, which means somebody that cares about the improvement of the breed as a whole, 
um, is going to do that uh, and, and have some requirements there. Stay away from Craigslist. Stay away from Facebook puppies. Stay away. From, well, I won't say Facebook. There's a lot of good breeders on Facebook, but, you know, stay away from those <laughs> those Walmart Home Depot specials. We'll say that, um, you know, um, the the initial purchase of a puppy is the smallest amount. And I know you guys just did a podcast on the total cost of a dog. The, the initial purchase of <laughs> don't, your, don't go listen to that if you're thinking about getting your first yeah. dog. Don't do it. <laughs> the initial purchase of your puppy is probably the least amount of money you're going to spend in that dog's lifetime for getting it ready to <laughs> do what it's going to do and testing and stuff like that. It, that podcast scared me because I was like, that's how much it costs to have a dog for a year and I've got nine of them. <laughs> no wonder I can't yeah. afford to buy a new truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. And, and yeah, if, if anybody else needs any more information on p- selecting your puppy, we just did an entire puppy series with the Carters and a, and a bunch, a bunch more experienced, more intelligent people than, than ourselves, Scott. I, I think I can yeah. speak for both of us on that, that point. So, uh, we'll appreciate yeah. it. And again, go, ch- go check them out. I think it's just starting. It's the, it's called the Upland rookie podcast. So, uh, Let's all right. Let's. I think we got time for one more, Scott. Let's hit up uh, Kyle Heff. Back to the basics. I love this question because you really can't go wrong with it. Where do you start yep. to build a strong and consistent recall? Ah, okay. So recall. Um, depending on the dog's age, and it really doesn't matter because we do get dogs of varied age at the kennel here. Um, we start our recall in a very controlled environment. So we start it in a kennel, enclosed, indoors, something along those lines. And we really, really solidify and that that dog is going to come to us every single time that we call it. And we do that, you know, first without distractions, then with the distractions. And distractions can be as simple as, you know, you call the dog to you, you throw a bumper the dog continues to come to you as opposed to stopping and chasing the toy or something along those lines. Um, Once that's overlaid in the kennel and, and we start to actually kind of overlay a little bit of whistle work as well. So two quick tweets on the whistle come to me. Good deal. You're here. Awesome. Uh, We do utilize the place board as well. While we're inside, we kind of, you know, double dip on this a little bit. So recall in the kennel, you know, Fido here, as soon as the dog's close enough to us, Fido place, dog gets on a place board, dog gets rewarded. Um, then we take that from the indoors or in, inside somewhere to a fenced in area or again, some sort of a controlled environment where the dogs not does not have the freedom to just shoot away from us and get out of control. You know, and that controlled environment could be with a long check cord. Okay. Dog is out doing whatever it is. We've got the very end of the check cord. Fido here. If Fido doesn't listen, Fido gets a correction. Uh-uh. And then we reel the dog all the way to us. Again, place board. And then instant reward when the dog comes. And then as we get the dog doing that consistent there with distractions again, then we kind of take that to the field. And now if you've been overlaying the whistle and stuff like that, We'll do our structured walks and essentially half a dozen times during that walk, we will actually, hey, I'm going to 
practice recall. That dog comes all the way to me, regardless of what's going on. And, you know, we build that piece of it. And then we just, you know, the recall piece is, is an ongoing thing, just like healing or just like anything else, you know, that's one of those, um, I'll, I'll say ultimate truths, you know, where, you know, here means here, come means come, heal means heal. You know, uh, there's no, it's very black and white. There's no areas of gray in that. I agree. Well, I think that just about does it. We've gone a little over an hour, Scott. I think uh, we can save, okay. save some for more when we do another Q&A. You know, I, one thing that we I have been asked is, you know, do more Q&As. Uh, it's like, okay, really? well, I like, I, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the past few weeks, I mean, like I said, it's it's probably, you know, every two or three days somebody's asking when you do another Q&A. Uh, I like to separate them out a little bit more. Let the let the questions, you know, resonate. Well, let let, you let know them what? build up and then get, what's that? Cause I think, I think you, you know, I know we had the, uh, the co-trainer with Angie on and stuff like that. I think she needs some love. Mm-hmm. I think she needs a Q and a session herself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, people really enjoyed that, that episode. So, uh, you know, I've been toying with the idea. I think, uh, I think Grayson needs to get on and have another trainer debate with another, uh, yep. with somebody else. But I, I tell you what, man, you know, between you and Grayson on the East Coast, Angie, and we've had a lot of people from from uh, Canada here lately. I need some West Coast love out here. I need some people out on the West Coast trainers. Let's let's talk some you know training out there in the West, yep. maybe Chucker based. You know, so, you know, I, I don't know, but but I, would, I don't I would know. Love I, to, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, you know, I'm going to be in New Mexico, twenty twenty two you know, for the invitational. So, you know, I'd love to get some, some West coast feedback and stuff like that and, and some West coast experience and some perspectives and, and that piece of it, because, uh, yeah. it, 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 it all helps build that toolkit. You know, it, it, I don't care if you are a trainer that's been training for, you know, 30, 40 years, if you're not willing to kind of see what else is out there and see different methods, because, Every dog is different. Every single one. I did three assessments today and all the three dogs were completely different. And there's no way you could possibly train all three of those dogs with the same training methods. You can follow the same roadmap. You know, you can, you can go from point A to point B, but you you have to take, be willing to be flexible in your training. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And that's, that's what I love to do is really jump in and get different perspectives. And so we may need to do an East coast, West coast, uh, trainer debate and, uh, you know, start a tournament one of these days, but yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those things to where, uh, you know, maybe we start doing a Q and a, you know, every, every two or three months or something, because, uh, people love the first one. They're going to, they're going to love this one. And, uh, appreciate everybody for for reaching out and giving us your questions because it's hard to do a Q&A without questions right so uh yeah. i guess uh scott if you unless you have anything else to add i say we wrap this up and uh you know let, let, let's go get some rest before this weekend to where we uh we we spend all weekend training and eating and and probably drinking too much yeah uh, the only thing i will add is if we're going to do another QA episode listeners if you're going to ask a question, I don't mind. Please put as much detail into it as you can possibly put into it so we can help you out a little bit. 
you know, the, and, the questions and to caveat like, off that, you... I'll, I'll have to read all the detail because Georgina gave me all the detail in the world. <laughs> and I just kind of fumbled that first question up at the start of this. So maybe yeah. it's, it's yeah. an issue of me reading all the detail as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the whole thing, how do I get my dog to do a command in the process of fetch? I'm like, well, if, if, if you told him to fetch and he's getting the bumper, what's what other command you're going to give? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we'll, we'll figure yeah. it out. We're, we'll come up with some form to put put on the website or something. But Scott, appreciate it as always. I'm going to let you go and uh, we're going to get off here and, and you, you enjoy the rest of your night. And uh, I'll see you here in a few days. Yep. See you this weekend, bud. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.